0: And we'll explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Do you consider yourself the greatest candy cane maker of all time?
1: <laughs> no, I would never say that, but uh, I'm just a regular old candy maker.
0: <laughs> well, when you say you'd never say it, do you believe it, though? Because we can't, you know, we cannot say things for obvious reasons, but we can believe it.
1: Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I don't know a lot of candy cane makers, so I'm not sure. if I, I could definitely make a statement that I'm the greatest, but uh, I, uh, I'm definitely a decent candy cane maker, I'd have to say.
0: <laughs> Wait, so you know other candy cane makers? I mean, is there like a huge underground network of these guys?
1: Uh, no, not, no networks really to speak of. I, I, I know a couple people that make candy canes. I have known a few people that have retired and no longer make them, but... Uh, um, I know there's a few other places out there, and I, I would say probably quite a few. There could be 30, 40 places across the United States or more, um, small little places that just make a small amount. But we're definitely, uh, definitely in the top tier, I would say, of candy made candy cane makers. So, ha- of handmade. Let me rephrase that: of uh, 100% handmade candy cane.
0: Okay, so um, you're a top tier candy cane maker. That's what you're going to call yourself.
1: I would I would go with that. All yes. right, fine.
0: We'll go we'll go with that. Well, you know, on that note, I think this is a really interesting segue. I want to get this out of the way really quickly, Jerry. Let's talk about probably the greatest asset that you guys have there, at least visually, uh, and that is your record-setting candy cane.
1: Yes, yes, we have a big giant candy cane. Uh, we're, we're, we believe it's the world's largest handmade, 100 percent handmade candy cane. And it's mounted on the wall right behind the area where we make our candy canes.
0: All right, so give me the dimensions here, Jerry.
1: Sure, sure. It's a uh, 36 pound candy cane. It is uh, a little bit over 36 pounds, a little bit over 16 feet long. I think it's 16 feet 3 and 3 quarter inches. And uh, we actually made it uh, uh, a little over 20 years ago and mounted on the wall, and it's kind of our. Classic piece right there. People are watching us make the candy canes when they come in and view it. That's what they see right behind us there is our, our 16-foot candy cane on the wall.
0: So now let me ask you a couple questions about this, Jerry, because this is the subject of some controversy, because you guys aren't technically in Guinness. What's up with that?
1: Well, uh, we did submit it to Guinness. We sent them uh, uh, some information on it, and they told us at the time they did not have a category. this was almost 21 years ago, and it did not have a category for handmade candy canes. Uh, we did have it printed in our National Candy Association magazine and it uh, they took a picture and they wrote an article about it and it said in there the world's largest handmade candy cane and we had nobody else respond um, through our candy maker association saying they would made one bigger and we have never seen one bigger than this one um, a couple of years back we did uh, my wife said hey I heard that there was a candy cane that was bigger and longer and when we looked into it it turned out we did one solid candy cane our normal candy cane batches are a 20 pound batch uh, we'd actually made uh, 20 years prior to making this one, uh, about 15 actually, 15 years prior to making this one, we had made a 25-pound candy cane. So um, about 15 years later, we decided we've got to break this record. And that was the biggest candy cane we had ever made here before. So we came up with a 36-pound candy cane. The other one was uh, uh, 13 feet long, and this one is a little over 16 feet long and uh, about uh, 11 pounds heavier than the one we made. Going back now, boy, that's uh, and I was working here at the time. I did not own the store, but I did work here at the time and helped them make it. Anyway, so we broke the r- our own record. And then my wife a few years back uh, said she'd heard there was a bigger candy cane out there. When we looked into it, it was made in sections. So they, mm-hmm. yeah, they had this really long candy cane that was 30 some odd feet long or something like that. And it, we saw a picture of it, and they had actually made sections and they just pieced it together. And uh, so it was not one continuous candy cane, they had um, it was, it was kind of stopped went straight, and stopped, and they added more pieces to it. Uh, so it was not one giant candy cane. So we still feel we hold the record for the single
0: largest. Uh, single, single, uh, single batch.
1: 100%. Yes, yeah, okay. one, one whole batch, one uh, continuous candy cane.
0: Well, I'll tell you this. So, so I'm going to give you some of the numbers, Jerry, because this kind of startled me. 2012, I, I don't, unbeknownst to you probably, it was a big year in record-setting candy canes. Okay. Okay.
1: I didn't know that, son.
0: So in in December, um, so actually December eighth, the candy cane you're talking about, there's actually two. You're, you're you're talking about one candy cane, and that candy cane was beat by the same guy. I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's either Alan or Alain Roby of Geneva, Illinois. Now I got to tell you, uh, he's a hometown boy for me. I'm from Chicago. I grew up okay. with my grandmother okay. right next to Geneva. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking sides here, Jerry. I don't want you to think that. But I got to tell you. <laughs> He built, he created a 38 foot, um, candy cane and then a 51 foot candy cane. Um, the 51 ca- foot candy cane was set in 2012. Now I gotta tell you, this is what kind of chapped me about this, is that I think you got the raw, the, the raw deal here because Guinness came out to that one and certified it. And I think you got real legitimate beef. I know you're in the candy industry, but I think you got some real beef, uh, with the Guinness people.
1: Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, we uh, we should have to look into that. We like I say at the time, and that's probably the same candy cane because we had heard it was about a thirty-six footer, and uh, it was definitely in pieces and not one continuous candy cane. But yeah, we're gonna have to look into that and see what uh, what's going on. I haven't seen haven't opened up the Guinness Book in quite a few years.
0: So. Well, it's it's a, it's a big one, fifty-one inches. And here's the other thing. I'm just gonna say this one little note because as I was doing research, I found this interesting. Now this there's a knockoff site. There's actually a Guinness knockoff site called RecordSetter.com. And mm-hmm. so I thought to myself, hey, maybe there's a little bit of life here. Maybe we can get some people out here who aren't a little snooty about their world records, right? Guinness can be a little snooty. Um, sure. So we, I looked into these guys. These guys are a joke. Four, six days after the 51-foot was set, they go on Jimmy Fallon and say that there's a guy karate chopping the longest candy cane. It's only eight feet, Jerry.
1: Oh, my gosh. See, see. Oh.
0: And they call oh, it yeah, the world's see. largest.
1: That's uh, see they've got to look into it. Obviously, you've done your research, and uh, apparently, the people uh, on the Fallon Show did not. So,
0: <laughs>
1: no. although although if if you're uh, not that many candy canes get karate chopped, so maybe it was <laughs> the world's largest candy, candy cane that got karate chopped. You put those two together, they weren't saying it was the world's largest candy cane; they were going to karate chop it. They said it was the world's largest candy cane that got karate chopped.
0: That's I, fair I have no idea,
1: but I'm just guessing here.
0: That's fair enough. I don't know why you're defending the record-setting people. Maybe you're trying to push for your own record, but um, you might have a good point there. I do respect that.
1: Okay, uh, I, was, we, I do. I just want to be very, in the cannabis. We want to be very precise here, so make sure we have it all spot on.
0: So. No, no, that's fair. Um, well, so now, now here's what's kind of cool about that is when I was there, you guys have a, you have a picture in the back. So when you were making this record-setting candy cane, this is like five generations of people making it. I mean, not only is this thing, um, you know, we're going to agree that this is the we're going to subcategory it in single bats, say it's the world's longest and largest. Uh, there's a lot of history here, and it was a pretty uh, pretty big occasion. Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely. Well, we had pictures from the one we had made 20 years prior to that. I mentioned the 25-pound candy cane, and uh, we were all here making that. And so what we did is when we redid our candy cane, we we set our record. um, We wanted to bring all the previous owners in. So we did find the three previous owners and ourselves. So all four generations were here uh, working together, making the candy cane. Now, the original candy maker had passed away, but his wife was there with us. And then the gentleman that I went to work for, him and his wife, and then the gentleman I bought the store from, him and his wife. And uh, between the four of us, uh, there were actually five of us rolling it right there on the table. And uh, so it was quite a spectacular. Not only were we, we were trying to set a record, obviously, for us. We weren't really concerned about, so much about Guinness at the time, but it was just something we thought was fun to do um, with our generations here at Logan's Candies because we have been around since 1933.
0: Now, when you were, you were telling me a story, well, you made this thing, you know, it's the big historic event, you got everyone around, and you wanted to mount it on the wall. Um, but you ended up having to back this thing up and putting it, it got all kind of crazy when you're mounting it on the wall. What happened?
1: Yeah, well, we uh, our heater for our candy cane making is on one side of the table. So our hope was that then what we do is when we make our candy canes, they're a little bit thinner on the bottom and they get a little bit thicker on the top. So our h- hope was that we were going to make the candy cane uh, in front of the heater, the thicker part, so that we could reheat it a little bit and make it easier to bend. Mm. Well, these... Uh, the other two and three generations of candy makers had been out of our practice there a little bit.
0: So as we were rolling it out, <laughs> we realized,
1: yeah, they, they weren't quite up to par of their candy, made, candy cane making. And we realized that they had rolled it a little thin on that side. So we ended up hooking it on the other end of the candy cane, which is away from the heater. It did still work. It hooked. It didn't break. We uh, uh, tell the whole story as we're making our candy canes. It took two of us to bend it over 20 minutes because we had to go very slow oh, just wow. to make sure it didn't crack or break. So once we got it hooked, what happened is that the way we wanted to mount it on the wall was actually backwards So, uh, because we wanted the highlighters, which is the hook of the candy cane, to be at the one end where we uh, did most of the candy cane making and then the other end have the straight end of it. So what happened is we had to mount it on a board and then we are going to mount it on the wall, but we had to literally walk out the back door. It was too big to even turn around inside our store. So we had four of us. We walked out the back door of the candy store in the parking lot and turned it around and came back in. And then the problem being is we got uh, almost all the way back in um, just prior to setting it down and and preparing for mounting. Somebody in the middle was a little taller and they pushed a little bit too hard. And whammo, we got a solid break all the way through the candy cane. So... It is uh, It is not in one piece. It was one piece when we made it. We do have pictures of that to prove that, but it did break prior to us mounting it. But uh, it's kind of hard to see it because the, the stripes match up per- perfectly, and uh, it's still, as far as we're concerned, an astonishing piece on the wall right there for us. So, And, and I would like to mention
0: that girl no longer works there. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, are you a violent man, Jerry? Are you... <laughs> not at all, not at all. But... <laughs> Wow. Uh, that would be pretty devastating, i got to admit. You know, all joking aside, you put all this work into it. It's got a lot of historic significance, um, and then some boner move breaks the thing in half. I'd be pretty upset. I'm not going to lie to you. And yeah,
1: we were definitely a little disturbed over it. Uh, you know, accidents happen, and the way we look at it is candy canes ultimately are meant to be breaking and broken and eaten. So, uh you know, so, uh, but yeah, it, it, like I say, it is kind of hard to tell that it is uh, snapped all the way through, but uh. that it still looks good on the wall, and uh, like I say, it is our signature piece right there when people walk in and watch.
0: No. Well, so l- let me ask you another question, because you brought up a very interesting point here, um, and that is, so do candy makers, do their skills decline? Is it like in a professional athlete where you kind of peak in your 30s, and then as you get older, um, you kind of, your skills decline significantly? How does that work?
1: Uh- uh, well, I'm not sure if there's a. Uh, I, I think probably age-wise, maybe there could be a peak, and I'm not sure if it's so much the skills declining over age. I think it's more of how long have you been out of the candy making uh, routine or candy making business. So the original owner, uh, the out of the three owners that were here, the one gentleman had been about uh, 15 years since he had made candy canes. The other gentleman had been about uh, closer to 20 years, and then the. Uh, Uh, The original owner's wife, who also came and helped us, she did a little bit of candy making, but probably, uh, you know, didn't do um, a lot of candy cane making. She just helped in the shaping and bending of the candy canes when they were on the store. And uh, so I think, yeah, I think over time it wasn't the age. I think it was more just not doing it in so long. Your skills diminished slightly, I believe, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's not like riding a bike. It's no. definitely
1: not like riding a bike. Well, you know, it could be if you were off a bike for fifteen or twenty years and you got back on it. It might take you a few minutes to get it back and uh, get it back going again. So, All right.
0: no, that's fair. All right. Um, now, the speaking of the owners, you've had five owners. Can you tell me about the history of Logan's Candies?
1: Sure, sure, absolutely. So, actually, there were four owners, four owners total, uh, including ourselves. Um, the original owners, the Logans, started making candy in Ontario back in nineteen thirty-three. And uh, sometime in 1933, they opened a store on Euclid Avenue. Now, Euclid Avenue is the main drag or the main uh, highway going through the downtown Ontario, California. And it has been for many years. It's a very, uh, it's a 75-foot-wide median in the middle, like a parkway. And then, of course, it's three lanes going north and three lanes going south. So they were actually out on Euclid from 1933 in a little candy store just next to the uh, Granada Theater, which was the only movie theater in all of Ontario at the time, uh, for about 20 years. And then in 1953, they moved into the location where we are now, down on B Street, which is uh, just around the corner from Yukon Avenue. Uh, at the time, that was definitely one of the, still one of the center parts of uh, downtown. And so they continued to run the store until 1974, and that's the year they decided to retire. Well, they sold the store to a friend of my mom and dad's, and that's how I got involved. I was actually in junior high at the time, and they'd asked me to come in and help them uh, roll candy canes and bag candy canes, and I did. Um, and then I worked for them for four years. Then they sold the store to another gentleman that uh, was a local uh, guy. Who just lived up the town, uh, not far from Ontario. And he ran the store, and I continued to work here for him for four years. And I started doing more and more and more. I just, you know, I did more than just the Christmas season. I came back there in Valentines and Easter, and even during the year, I'd come and help him make candy. So that's where I learned my skills. And then in 1982, four years later, me and my wife Susie bought the store, and we've been running it ever since now. This is actually our uh, 35th year of owning the store and our 36th Christmas here.
0: Wow. And, And so you've worked there for how long then?
1: I've worked here actually now for 43 years, so I was oh. uh, quite young when I started. Now it was seasonal in the beginning. Right. The first four years were just, uh, actually the first two years it was just Christmas and then it started turning into Christmas and Easter and then the next four years I worked here for the next owner I started working uh, Christmas, Valentine's and Easter and then I started coming in also during the summertime and other off seasons uh, helping him make candy and stuff like that. So.
0: Wow. Well, So what was it about candy making that intrigued you so much?
1: You know, I don't. I'm not sure. It's uh, something I had started doing. I uh, uh, I grew, grew a love for it as I uh, bent the candy canes. I uh, um, just started having fun with it. Um, it was a seasonal business, which were great for me because during the downtime of school, during the holidays, and things like that, um, of course, you can get, get a little, earn a little holiday money. And as I did it more and more, and it was one of those things that not too many people get to do. Not too many people work at a handmade candy store. And uh, so there were some perks, taking some candy home and giving candy gifts away and things like that. And and actually, I started in college in 1980, and uh, I was taking business courses. And I used the candy store as a model for a number of reports that I did uh, through my business classes. And I realized as I was doing it that, boy, I think I can take this business and make it do better. And uh, my father had been self-employed for many, many years, so many times my mom and dad asked me, is this something you, you, know, you think someday you might want to own your own business? Of course, at the time, I was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to get a job work for somebody else. But as I did this, and uh, through my schooling, I started looking at it and realized, hey, I think I can take this business and make it, uh, make it grow. And that's oh. what we did. We just took it over and made it grow.
0: That's interesting because, I mean, th- the emphasis on what you do is not so much on the business side of it, although I'm sure you do very well. But it, there's a, a big emphasis on the handmade aspects of it. You make everything there, which we're going to get to in a second. Um, you know, there's a real love that you can see with candy making and that has to come from somewhere. So, you know, I, I always assume psychologically that there's some deep rooted childhood thing. So were you not allowed to have candy as a kid? Did you, um, you know, were, you, were the people strict around you? There's got to be something.
1: I will know actually quite the opposite. My mom and dad actually did a little bit of candy making. I remember every year at Christmas time they would make uh, uh, rock, or uh, um, like an English toffee or um, almond roca, and they would give it out to you know teachers, friends, doctors, neighbors uh, all, all my dad 's uh, business associates. We also made fudge and I remember as a kid watching him and being you know helping out making these things and we made fruit cakes we made coconut balls. And, I, you know, mostly I did a lot of watching because I was quite young, and, but I did, uh, was able to, uh, of course, eat a lot. That was always the best part of it. Uh-huh. But uh, so I, I think maybe there was a, maybe a love for candy making instilled in me at a very young age. So, and they, I, I mean, it was a big production in our house. It wasn't just, you know, one batch of this, one batch of that. My dad made three or four batches of fudge. My mom, they'd have, you know, 42 fruitcakes all over the house. You know how the fruitcakes are. They're all over the place. Yeah. And, uh, and just making that stuff and giving it away. And uh, so I think I just uh, gained a love for sweets at an early age.
0: Wow. And and so it's kinda of, so it's kinda of that the way you guys crafted it at home is what you kinda of bring to the store then I guess. Do you guys make fruitcakes in the store?
1: Uh, we don't. We don't. That fruitcake is not, you know, I, I, we always joke, I think there's just one fruitcake in the world that gets passed around to everybody. But uh, no, we don't we do a fruit <laughs> nut fudge that is probably similar. We tell people it's kind of like a fruitcake fudge. Uh, but no, not we don't actually do fruitcakes here.
0: Okay. Um, now you so this is a family business. You've been doing it for a long time. Obviously, your parents brought you into it. Um, now you also have your daughter works there, and she's kind of forced into slave labor. How does that work?
1: <laughs> well, uh, uh, the great thing is, is that during the holiday season that uh, we're very, very busy, so I would have to spend a lot of time away from home, as as with her mom. You know, before we had kids. And uh, so the great thing is we got to spend a lot of time together. So uh, Susie stayed home and did nurture the kids as they were growing up. But as they got old enough, you know, four, five, six years old, they wanted to come down here and be involved. They saw the things going on, the candy cane making, you know, making the other candy. I mean, I mean, the typical kid in a candy store. How can you not love that? Yeah, right. And. yeah, so they, both the girls worked for us and, uh, um and loved it and it was a great way to keep the family together and to be able to spend some time together and, cause there is some, uh, labor involved in candy making but it definitely is a lot of fun. So yeah. it just kind of becomes a family affair um in fact my daughter recently had been out of the country for almost a year but she wanted to make sure that she got back here in time for this christmas season because she wanted to go through with us and help us out because it's just a love we've all kind of developed for candy making
0: <laughs> that's really sweet i mean look you're 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 getting free labor out of the deal jerry let's not sugarcoat it too much no pun intended um but it does sound like a lovely experience for everybody
1: well uh, they, they do uh, you know she's getting old enough now she's getting paid now so there is uh, uh, they definitely work over and above what they should so I'm not sure slave labor is the right <laughs> word but uh, but I think there's definitely an instilled a family love for candy making so absolutely
0: sure. um, now one thing I forgot to ask is the the Logan family the people who originally uh-huh. owned it um, they still come in their their grandkids come in like they're still involved at least in the eating process of ca- your candy yeah,
1: absolutely absolutely yeah it's funny I just uh, just a couple nights ago uh, the actually uh, just yesterday actually uh, the grand- Granddaughter was in, and and buying candy. We had probably eighty or ninety people in the store watching the candy cane making. And as I love to do, I uh, like to point out. I go, and "We just want to let you know that we are honored today to have our uh, the Logan's granddaughter in here." And of course, she turned beet red and ran out the door as quick as she could once she made her purchase. But uh, (laughs) but I did get a chance to uh, introduce her to the crowd, and and everybody seemed to love it. as I think she does too. So
0: did the crowd go bananas?
1: Yeah, they did. They, they were watch, watching, and like I said, she was kind of heading for a door, and I said, there she is, and I pointed to her, and, Stop and her. a couple people a Couple people knew her. They're still a local family, very involved in the community, um, and uh, yeah, they just live up the street less than a mile away from the candy store, and they all are involved with uh, downtown, and they come in the candy store on a regular basis.
0: Wow. Um, now, has anyone tried to buy you out?
1: Not had, We have not had anybody try to buy us out. We had a number of people want to, uh, well, we get people all the time that want to intern. They basically want to come in and they want me to teach them how to make candy. Yeah. Um, and uh, the problem is, is there are candy schools out there that will teach that, but they are quite expensive. So uh, so we don't really take on interns, uh, but we have had a number of people over the years that wanted to take their candy store and combine it with ours and, and work together, and it just hasn't ever worked out for us. Um, you know, our key is that we, find, we found that hand making the candy we, we don't want to be like everybody else we don't want to be like the big companies the seas the russell stover you know the other companies out there that uh, mass produce candy our niche is that we make it all by hand it's fresh and you can definitely taste the difference when you eat it so that's our niche and we want to stick with it so all these other people moving in you know, they have machinery and things like that they want to bring in but our uh, our hope is to uh, keep that niche going and just stick with the handmade candy that we do here so
0: well that, i guess that makes sense i gotta tell you i've done a lot of research i know a lot of things I had no idea that there are candy schools out there. Tell me more about this.
1: Uh, there are. There are There are schools that specialize in just uh, you know um, I don't want to say making of chocolate but dipping of chocolate, dipping the making the centers for chocolate. Um, you know there's a few schools in Philadelphia where they actually teach you can you know, uh, learn how to make different fudges and things. They offer courses for other candy makers like myself. If you wanted to go out there and maybe move into a new area that you have candy you haven't made before, um, you know, cream centers, jellies, or whatever you want to do. Uh, most of that we do here already, so we have not had to do any uh, go to any schooling, and I learned it all right here. But uh, there are schools available and classes that are available for you know small time candy makers like myself. They can go out there and and uh, learn more skills and do do more things with it. So
0: wow. So do you do you have a professional candy making degree or is this all on the job that you learned
1: uh, I, I've learned it all on the job here I don't I, I tell people I'm a candy maker emeritus here so uh, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, um, actually there is a, a little thing you can go through um, and they, uh, they uh, you don't have to actually take a class but you just have to show how many years you've been working at it and you get the sponsorships and they do um, they'll give you a candy making degree if you will honorary uh-huh. degree yeah. I've never done that but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I know there's one out there that they, uh, are, there's a, a local or national candy association rci retailer Con- retail confectioners international and uh, they have a lot of uh, school um, candy classes and different things like that that they offer there so,
0: so are you going to get your degree i mean you, you have to you, you've earned it Jerry. I,
1: I probably should. I, I have a friend of mine that has a small store in Indiana, and he went through that four or five years ago. And he did tell me in the past that he would sponsor me, and uh, so that's something we may do in the future here. I mean, you know, get a nice little plaque and hang it on the wall and let people know that we're uh, that I'm official now. So. Yeah, you need but that. I have been in the business for many, many years. So
0: yeah, I mean, but that makes you official. You know how important a piece of paper is to, to people out there.
1: That, well, that's true. I, uh, I look at it uh, as long as we're making good candy and they're liking the candy. Uh, that's, I think, what they mostly care about. So, okay, but uh, cool. Yeah, I might do that in the future as we're less busy. Maybe I can get the time to try to do that sometime here in the future.
0: So now, The, the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, how close is that to what you guys do in your store?
1: Well, we don't have any Oompa Loompas here. But uh, hmm. other than that, we, uh, you know, we've got a, a couple of chocolate vats that are spinning most of the time in the back room. Uh, you know, kind of a flow of chocolate, if you will. We've got these beautiful copper kettles. Of course, when you walk in the front of the store, you know, you're just, you're just you know, hit by all these, you know, lollipops, just candies from old, candies from new, uh, nostalgic candies, chocolate, everything. So, uh, there's definitely that feel of that Willy Wonka feel where you're definitely walking into a chocolate factory. The smell alone, <laughs> you know, as you walk in the door yeah. for making fudge, peanut brittle, candy canes, whatever it is, you just get overwhelmed with that smell and, uh, it definitely takes you, uh, I think as a kid, if you've seen that movie, or if you, I should say if you've seen that movie as a child, it definitely can take you back to a place like that. So a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, do you guys have an R&D department? Are you guys trying new things?
1: Uh, well, that would be me still, or my wife and daughter. We and uh, we have a lot of people that love to help us with that. Uh, we do. We try to new flavors a lot. We uh, try to add some different things, uh, you know, different candy things that we make. Uh, um, you know, maybe changing a toffee recipe, adding different nuts to it. Um, so we yeah, we do. We do. We play around with a lot of things. Uh, if there's something hot and new out there, uh, we want to try to uh, you know be involved and keep right up with all that too. So.
0: Uh, so now on that note, when you guys—I know you guys have 25 flavors of ribbon candy, which is similar to peppermint or similar to candy canes, right?
1: Yeah, the the yeah the candy cane the hard it's like a hard candy just like candy cane. It's just shaped a little bit different, and of course different colors and flavors.
0: So now what, what you guys do some experimental flavors there, don't you?
1: Oh yeah, yeah no, that's something we do. We try to every year for the last uh, eight or nine years we've added uh, at least one flavor a year. Uh. Last year we added black licorice and wintergreen. Oh wow. And this year we actually added uh, uh, strawberry cheesecake and maple bacon. I mean, how can you go wrong with bacon? Add a little bacon mm. to something sweet and you're in you're in like Flynn.
0: So what is your what is the what does that experimentation process look like? Like how do you make the flavors and then who's testing these things?
1: Well, actually it's more it's usually more of a combination of uh, just buying flavors and then trying to mix them together. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Or coming with different things. Um, you know, if you're doing a fruit flavor or something like that, you're going to add a little bit of citric acid or something else to make it a bolder flavor. So, mostly it's just uh, mixing the flavors together, trying to get the right combination. You don't want it too strong, too weak. Decide, hey, we're, you know, what are we looking here? We've got a very strong maple flavor. You know, we're going to add a little salt here. We're going to try to get it to taste like bacon. Um, so it's just a matter of coming up and playing around and trying those things and getting the taste and the color to come out just right.
0: So when you guys make the candy canes, you, you have to put like, uh, I think I was you mentioned that it's this very strong triple distilled peppermint uh, that you kind of work in there. And it's $500 a gallon, very expensive flavoring, very expensive extract, very powerful stuff here, Jerry. When you're working with the flavors, how does that not overpower you?
1: Well, uh, I think mostly experience. I mean, you, it's something we've done for many, many years, so you have a pretty good idea about how much to add. Now there's times we've made a batch and it's okay, it's not that strong, and, you know, we'll give out samples, let people taste it, is it something we can sell, is it worth uh, putting on the list, and those kind of things, and uh, those are the things that you just have to remember. We, but I've been doing it for long enough that you have a pretty good sense you can smell the uh, flavor and get an idea how strong it seems to be, and it's just a matter of adding the right amount. So. Like I say, we've had to have that stuff that we haven't flavored enough, and you want to come into the next batch and make sure you're enough flavor to give you that bold flavor and taste of it.
0: But when you're mixing flavors, I'm more interested in the mixing flavors. When you're making maple bacon flavor, and you got all these super powerful extracts together, how are you tasting that?
1: H- how are we tasting it?
0: Yeah, like how are you testing the, the, the flavor when you create a new flavor?
1: Well, it's really, like I say, it's really more of just knowing uh, by smelling the flavor. You can't really eat the flavors uh, uh, directly. You've got to mix it with something, but you can add it to a little bit of chocolate. You can mix it with a, maybe a small batch of uh, fondant and just to get a taste of it. Uh, we can do that that way. Uh, most of the time, just you can just tell by uh, smelling the flavor how strong it seems to be, and then you just determine, okay, we know we use X amount of flavor for uh, this size batch of uh, ribbon candy, so let's try this amount and, and mix it two. like, for instance, The strawberry cheesecake, we wanted to do a lot more of a, we basically mixed a cake batter flavor and a strawberry flavor. I'm sorry, not cake batter. We made a cheesecake flavor and a strawberry flavor together. So we were trying to get it a little bit stronger. We could tell that the cheesecake wasn't as strong a flavor. So we definitely went with more cheesecake flavor and less strawberry flavor, trying to make sure you, uh, you get the taste, not only the strawberry, but also the cheesecake.
0: Right. Now, when you're doing this stuff, do you look towards like, the people who are quintessential and really on the cutting edge of flavors, like Jelly Belly Company, for example? Like, do you look at the kind of stuff they're doing and how they do flavorings and kind of um, adapt that to what you're doing?
1: Uh, well, a little bit. I mean, I will tell you, in the candy business, there's a lot of secrets going on. Nobody wants right. to uh, give away their recipes and their secrets. So. <laughs> right. And I would, I'm sure Jelly Belly, uh, uh, anybody that's in their test kitchen has uh, signed some sort of letter of confidentiality. Sure. So, uh, so it's not like it's that readily available to find out information from them. But, yeah, definitely, I mean, uh, Jelly Belly is kind of the uh, standard as far as flavors go. I mean, you've got all those different flavored jelly beans they do. They're changing them and adding flavors all the time, uh-huh. uh, which is quite amazing. So, yeah, definitely something you want to, uh, uh, you know, keep a high
0: standard like they do there. So do you have any proprietary recipes?
1: Uh, uh, we do. I mean, we don't... Uh, I, mean, I, don't um, I don't want
0: your recipe. I'm just asking if you have any stuff. No, you no, no. Well,
1: yeah, yeah, obviously you have to least list ingredients on almost everything. So, um, um, But yeah, we have uh, all our recipes actually here are proprietary. I mean, when you're doing a hard candy, almost anybody can do hard candy, It's just the different percentages they use of mixing, you know, sugars and syrups and different things like that and flavors. But, uh, but, yeah, all our cream uh, centers that we do here are our honeycomb recipe, our marshmallow. Um, I'm not saying somebody else doesn't have an identical recipe because, you know, candy, we always say, is the art of cooking with sugar, water, and corn syrup. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, all our recipes here are, uh, are, are, are proprietary recipes. It's not something we give out or something we borrowed from somebody else.
0: Now, when I was in high school, one year we had to make peanut brittle in chemistry class. And it's very difficult to make, actually. I mean, the, the timing is very important. I don't need to tell you this. I'm telling this for for everyone else. So The, the timing is very important. The ingredients are very important. Um, but also, like I have, a, I have a candy thermometer. I make ice cream. I've uh, made caramel before. So I know how those things work. And on it, you know, it's got like a, even, you know, on a consumer grade one, it has like the different temperatures to tell you kind of what candy you're going to make and what temperatures you're looking for. But it's all very specific. If you're distracted for a second and it gets too hot um, or, or it takes too long to get, Get, get heated up anything can go wrong have you ever mixed that up with like peanut brittle versus you know a candy cane versus something else where you kind of either goofed up the mixture or the timing on it
1: uh, well you try not to it has happened before um, one of the ones that is very critical is a fudge fudge is very very temperature sensitive um, if you overcook the fudge your fudge will set up too fast it'll get grainy it gets it too hard and on the other hand, if you undercook it, it'll never set up, and then you uh, might have to take a batch of chocolate fudge and turn it into uh, hot fudge sundae, you know, something that's liquidy. So oh, so there's yeah, definitely yeah. some keys there, and you, you've got to uh, be able to read the thermometer well and uh, keep your eye on the temperatures so you get a nice, precise temperature as you're cooking these things.
0: Is that the most difficult thing to make fudge?
1: Um... I would say the candy cane is probably one of the more difficult ones to make, but yeah, as far as uh, temperature reading, uh, I would say definitely fudge is more critical than uh, than hard candy like peanut brittle or candy canes by far.
0: Well, why, why, is candy, why are candy canes so difficult?
1: Uh, it's just the process. It's uh, you know, putting it together. I mean, you've got to get the right cooking. I actually had a uh, company call me from back east not long ago that makes candy canes, and they said, hey, we saw you do this online, and we had a couple questions for you. We're having some issues with this, this, and this, and they told me what some of the problems were, and I said, well, I offered a little bit of help to them, and I said, sounds to me like it could be either undercooking it slightly or maybe try this, and I, I never did hear back from them, but I offered them a couple uh, three things they might be able to do to try to uh, get their recipe back in line. So, so so hopefully that helps us. So yeah, there are definitely uh, definitely uh Tricks of the trade there. So
0: well, that was really nice of you. It's not proprietary. You helped them out, and they didn't even say thank you.
1: Uh, they did say thank you. I didn't hear back from them. Hopefully, uh, maybe after Christmas time, they will give us a call because it was just going into the holiday season for them. So I know they're extremely busy, but uh, hope to hear from back from them sometime and see if it helped out for them.
0: Now, you guys have a very specific candy making, candy cane making process using ancient materials, uh, basically like this handmade um, stuff, hundred year old equipment. You know and that's in a good way, not because it 's clunky and old, but because it's you know the taste is distilled in it like an iron skillet. Can you tell me a little bit about the process?
1: sure well, um, now we hand make our candy, so there's not a lot of mechanical process involved, but there's a lot of equipment that you can use that's just not available anymore. Um, when we make our candy canes there's a little what we call a pillow cutting machine, and uh, we take the long strips of candy cane we put them in this little i guess you would call it like a press or it 's like a little a machine that it doesn't completely cut it, and then you drop it and it shatters into little pieces, and uh, that's a piece that we've actually been using here since 1933. In fact, on the uh, piece of equipment itself, it says right out there, um, the copy or the uh, I'm sorry, not the copyright, but the uh, patent pending was um, first put out there. And I think it's like 1858. So this is some old equipment that we continue to use. And so those kind of things, they just don't make anymore. I mean, you can sometimes find it out there. Maybe you've got a little candy store going out of business or something like that, and they're selling off some equipment. Now, there is still companies out there that make some of the equipment, but in most cases, they're doing it for uh, bigger bigger size stores than, uh, than a small individual candy store like ourselves.
0: Well, because you guys have a 90-year-old um, copper pot and a, and a stove and a marble slab. These are the things. And a hook. And a hook is what I'm missing. So those four items are kind of like the key to the process. Uh, what's the history behind these things? Where did they come from? How long have they you know, been around?
1: Uh, well, the stove that we use up front, um, it is a stove that they originally started with in 1933. I'm not sure if they bought it new or used at the time, so it could be even a little bit older than that. So that would be 84 years old. Um, and uh, now I have another um, uh, uh, cooking, um, cup, uh, cooking uh, stove in the back that's not quite as old as the one in the front so at some point they had one stove only and then they added another stove um, but uh- they still make those stoves today, the difference is if you notice uh, there's some intricate little patterns on the there's some legs that hold it up and the new ones are just kind of a square straight leg, no, no patterns on it. The one we have, it uh, has like a built-in little uh, scrolling on the side of the legs, so it's just a difference of uh, uh, the, 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 the workmanship going into putting it together way back in the uh, you know 80, 90, 100 years ago than today where they're just kind of pressing them out and making them uh, square and not doing those intricate things on them. So, uh, we have a, a lot of pieces of equipment like that. Um, we've got an old mixer in the back here that, uh, that's from, like, the 1940s. Uh, I know years ago, I think around 74, 75, the uh, owner here uh, had an issue, and he asked him for an owner's manual. Well, they didn't actually have an owner's manual, but they sent him out a copy of the blueprints. And oh, wow. I still have those copies today that we, uh, if we ever have any issues or want to take a look at it. Yeah, I still have the copy they sent him back in, uh, in the envelopes data, I think 1947 uh, wow. printed right on there when they uh, needed to get the uh, um, the owner's manual to do some work on it. So,
0: Do you have those handy?
1: Uh, I still, yeah, I still have those in the back room. Yeah, I'd have to dig them out. They're kind of buried back there. But yeah, we still have them handy and available. Yeah, now let me back up. I, I, I misspoke there. I said they uh, bought oh, it in uh, 1940- uh, 1940. Well, no, no, wait a minute. I <laughs> forgot. They. Well, I said it right the first time. They bought it in 1940, and I think I said in the 70s, around 70s. So the actual postmark is from 77, but uh-huh. the blueprints are a copy of the original blueprints from the 40s. I don't wow. know if the blueprints are dated, but I have the uh, a postmark on the envelope, and I think it's like 74 or 75 when they ask them, hey, we need a copy of the owner's manual. And that was when they mailed them the uh, copy of the blueprints. So the date on the postmark is 74 or 75, but the copy of the blueprints are the original blueprints from the 40s.
0: That's inc- that is absolutely incredible. Uh, and so, I mean, this is a candy-making process that, that's been perfected um, for, at least with this equipment, for hundreds of years. Now, is this like kind of like how a violin, when you have masters of a violin, they'll go and buy a 300-year-old um, p- instrument to play on, and the sound is just perfect? Is that kind of how this works with cooking equipment as well?
1: Yeah, I would say a little bit similar. I mean, it's, uh, I know uh, you know when you've got someone working on a master of a violin, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're looking for a specific sound. I'm not sure candy-making is quite as precise is that, but there's no doubt that uh, you want to have the right equipment, you want to have the right uh, uh, things to work with, and that can make the job and the candy uh, much easier to make and a much better taste, so absolutely. Uh, I, have a, I have a piece of equipment that we use that's an extruder. Well, nowadays, people use, you know, electric extruders, and this is a hand extruder that we use for our creams. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently back in, uh, I, wanna, I, I don't know if I know the exact date, but I, I think around the uh, late 50s, early 60s, uh, the gentleman owned the store, he had rolled all his creams by hand. The original owner was Mr. Logan and his wife. They did all their creams, and they rolled them by hand. Well, this guy down the street in Pomona had this uh, extruder, and for four or five years in a row, he tried to get the owner to buy the extruder. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to spend the money on that. You know, it's too expensive. Because I can tell you, candy, candy making is a tough way to make a living, especially uh-huh. with a little candy store like ourselves. Yeah, sure. um, but he, uh, So for many years, he said, no, 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 and then eventually he did buy it. And it's the same extruder that we use today when we make all our cream centers. So, and it is, uh, hand cranked. It's got a little, uh, hand crank on the top and it, uh, you know, big spline in the middle that, uh, squeezes the candy out. And there's a little cutter on the bottom that cuts off 55 pieces at a time. But, uh, it, I thought that was always a funny story. For four or five, six years, he refused to put the money into it and pay it. And then I think once he did, uh, actually buy it from the gentleman, uh, he was much happier and it would probably saved a lot of time extruding it than having hand roll each individual piece.
0: That's, I mean, that's, people are stubborn, you know? I mean, you know. That's
1: this. true, very true. But I tell you, in the candy business, it's a, it's a tough, it can be a tough way to make a living. So uh, I understand trying to save those pennies and dimes, no doubt about it.
0: What is an extruder? What exactly is going on there? I don't know what that means. Um, well,
1: extruder, basically, you're just putting the candy inside this, uh, in this case, it's kind of a round uh, a cylinder. And then there's a 55 hole. Plate on the bottom, and then on the top there's a hand crank with a spline. And as you crank the spline, it pushes the candy out the bottom. Oh, I see. Um, So an extruder would be. uh, A lot of times they use it in bakeries. They're extruding uh, the right size for um, the dough and things like that. But it's Mm. also used in the candy Mm. business. Um, It can be extruding creams. It can be, uh, you know, extruder um, extruding caramel. If it's not like a real hard caramel, or maybe a liquid extruder. But this is a. uh, cream extruder that we use for our all the um, cream centers that we make
0: here. Now I got to ask you, this might be a dirty secret in the candy business, but you guys do live demos, and we can talk about that in a second. I'm going to put one online, one that uh, you gave me the privilege of being backstage shooting one of these things. As you get towards the end of the process, and you're about to roll it out, you do you know you do the the baseball bat, and then this bowling pin, and then the guitar stick, right? Funny stuff, by the way. It does look like a guitar. Then you put (laughs) it down. Then you distract the audience. I'm watching you, Jerry. I see what's going on here. You distract the audience. You cut off the end that you've squeezed up, which kind of looks like a mushroom almost. And then you stick it in the back like a stuffed turkey. What's going on there? Why are you doing that?
1: Well, that's an old candy maker secret. And we don't, uh, it's not that we're really hiding it. It's just not always the most beautiful looking thing in the world. But uh, Uh, what happens when you're pulling out the candy cane or any kind of hard candy in the beginning, um, you know, as you're trying to get it to the right shape and size you're going to have a lot of waste because uh, just of the way you pull the candy cane together. So as opposed to just cutting off those big chunks and throwing them away or, you know, breaking it up and selling those little broken pieces or things like that, by tucking it in the bottom or the back side of the uh, candy cane, it then pulls out through the middle or the uh, center at the end of the batch. So it's just uh, a way to, uh, not have to throw away or waste a bunch of candy. And that way, right off the bat, we go right from a nice, uh, go right into the nice stripe where people that are watching can see the candy canes being made. Otherwise, the first 15 or 20 candy canes, we'd be pulling them out and stretching them. They wouldn't be very pretty. We're probably yeah. just going to break them and they use them for broken pieces and things like that. So just right. kind of a little secret way of a uh, candy maker's way of, uh, going right to the nice stripe right off the bat.
0: <laughs> That's fair. Now, when you say did lots of, you know, cut off pieces and they're kind of ugly, when you, I was watching, um, I was watching your team there break up these pieces of peppermint. Uh, it gets pretty sharp. It's almost like glass. Have you had any near fatal accidents involving uh, peppermint shard? Uh,
1: luckily not. Luckily not. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, when you do a hard, if you do a good hard candy, it is, uh, uh, you know, very. It can almost be like glass. it gets cuts and can have some sharp edges. But uh, uh, but normally you put that in your mouth and it starts to dissolve almost instantly, and uh, away goes the sharp edge. So so no, luckily not. Luckily not. So
0: <laughs> that's good. Um, now you guys started doing these live demos in 1984, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Well, what? we uh, we've done. They did live demos since 1933. We've uh, oh. they made the candy in the window from day one, and uh, so people that could walk by um, could just stop and watch some of the candy being made. Um, we do a few other things besides just the candy canes in the front window, but that's the main thing we do. Uh, but what we did in 1984 is we started uh, actually booking individual groups uh to come in and watch as opposed to just waiting for people to be in shopping in the area and walking by and just happening, Hey, look what they're doing here. Uh, We actually uh I've started setting up uh, groups and booking them, pre-booking them, the exact time and days and the amount of people that are coming in uh, to come in and watch the candy cane making process.
0: Now, do you do that, and you can decide not to answer this question if you don't want to, but do you do that as outreach to the community or do you do it as a way to get people into the store? Foot traffic, Jerry. Good businessman.
1: Uh, well, actually, initially, it was just uh, a way to uh, let the you know the, the general public experience, but what's, what happened is they did an article on places to tour or watch things being made live back in uh, 84 uh, during the summer, and immediately we had all these people calling going, hey, you know, we want to try to come in and do this. So we, at that point, because um, we would have people that would call us, hey, I want to bring our group in, and we'd say, sure, come on in. And well, what happened happen is uh, instead of just an occasional, uh, you know, 10 groups a year people calling up wanting to come in, suddenly we had a list of 100 150 groups wanting to come in and, and watch these things being made. So we started making a calendar, uh, setting up the actual dates and times, and uh, pre-booking it and uh, having the people come in to watch.
0: Now, do you find people buy stuff, or are they freeloaders that come in and just watch and then leave?
1: Uh, well, we actually, nowadays, we uh, initially we didn't uh, charge a fee, but now what we do is we actually charge a fee, But although they, they get candy, yeah, they it's get not candy. like we're overcharging them. But when right. you've got 30 kids coming in, as opposed to uh, letting them buy, you know, uh, 25 different candies, you know, a nickel each, uh, we just have a pre-made bag of candy that we give them, and it also includes the bending of a warm candy cane while they're here. So mm-hmm. they can come in, they can watch they walk out with a bag of candy, and uh, it uh, and it doesn't have, It's not like we have to pay uh, our uh, our employees to wait on you know thirty six kids in a row each. Right. You know, like say twenty five items at a nickel each. So
0: right, <laughs> that's a good, So it, so, good so there's
1: a little bit of both. There's a little bit of business sense. We uh, and nowadays we actually uh, this year we booked uh, about two hundred forty five groups to come in and watch, and I believe we turned away probably close to one hundred fifty
0: or more. Wow. Turning away little kids, Jerry, that's what you've become.
1: Well, we try not to do that if we can, and and usually it's the parents we're talking to, but yeah, it's it's a sad (laughs) thing. Trust me, we try to bring in everybody we can because we want to uh, let everybody experience the candy making.
0: I don't even like kids, Jerry. So I don't. I don't even care. I got to do it. And that's all I care about.
1: Uh, okay. Well, see, there you go. See that some 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 people that way too. But uh, we want to include the kids when we can. So
0: now, I, I don't think I've really emphasized how special it is what you what you do there. It's it's a very special thing. There aren't a lot of people hand rolling, hand making candy canes. Um, I know Disneyland's local. They make a small batch. There's a place in Colorado has been doing it for 93 years. Hammonds. Um, but outside of that, you guys are kind of the only place and you're in Southern California uh, that's pretty special. Do you guys do any mail orders so people can get into this or is this for local folks only?
1: Uh, we do a little bit of mail order. I mean, we can. Most of the mail order are people that used to live in the area, and they have now moved out of state or different places, or they'll call and on want us to ship it to them or ship it to their family, maybe send gifts to friends and things like that. Uh, but for the most part, it's just uh, uh, people in the local area that come in and buy the candy canes right over the counter. So so we do offer the shipping, but uh, but we get people that come, you know, from uh, 40, 50, 60, 80 miles away. To watch the candy making. We had a group uh, just a few nights ago that were from San Diego, which is, you know, certainly an hour and a half drive and probably uh, 60, 80 miles away from us here in in Southern
0: California and Ontario. It's pretty fun to watch, I got to admit. And the other amazing thing that you've done is most people think of the candy cane as just a holiday season kind of treat. But you've kind of remarketed this thing for every time of the year, uh, except Groundhog Day, Jerry, my favorite holiday. I don't know why I don't have a Groundhog Day thing. But well, basically on that every one, season, isn't it like every season, every reason, except treason, something like that?
1: Yes, there you go. There you go. Yeah, we cover every season, every reason. Yeah, no, we make candy canes for, uh, and even nowadays we make them for weddings. But yeah, we do. What happened is it was just so popular, people watching the candy cane making at Christmas time, uh, we thought, well, let's try making some hearts for, Well, well, originally we made hearts for Christmas. And then we thought, boy, we can make uh, Valentine color hearts and make them, and sell them for Valentine's Day. And then after we did that, it went over pretty well. We thought, well, let's try St. Patrick's Day. And then we worked at an Easter. And so eventually we just basically covered every holiday other than Groundhog Day. But we're working on that one. So
0: What do you every do for Groundhog we Day? Make,
1: well, every time we make that candy cane for Groundhog Day, it just kind of pulls its head back in the hole and we, and we lose them. We don't <laughs> know where they disappear to. <laughs> so, so we're working on that one,
0: though. So. Well, and you guys also do some art pieces because you showed um, – it's kind of like a big chunk of peppermint that you've fashioned in the face of Santa. Um, it's pretty amazing stuff. Do you sell those? Do you keep creating them, or is it kind of a waste of candy?
1: Uh, we, it's just kind of something. When I, Back when I, before I bought the store, uh, uh, some of the owners would let me play with the uh, end of the batch if there was an extra piece or something like that, and I would start kind of just put some things together. And uh, so I never really did really sell them, uh, but we do, uh, the candy cane, the Santa that we do is really just more for display and show, but we do have people come in. We did some... Uh, candy cane hockey sticks the other day we found candy cane music notes of course the hearts we mentioned and all the other shapes for the holidays but occasionally we get people that come in and want something a little special and and if we can do it we definitely try to do it for them
0: and you guys send them to the troops right I mean you guys make red white and blue ones send them to the troops
1: Uh, we do we do we've tried for about six or seven years in a row Actually, if i think thinking about it, I think it's probably closer to eight or nine years. Yeah, we uh, back when the Iraq war first started, we uh, uh, found groups that we could uh, make the candies. They're, they're, they're sending in little boxes with socks and all kinds of goodies. So we'd make these red, white, and blue canes, or sometimes just red and, blue, uh, red and white canes. And we'd uh, you know hook up with these people, and they would put the packages together and ship them right over to the troops in uh, you know, different places they're deployed.
0: That's pretty amazing. Uh, that's a great thing to do, and I imagine um, that's a nice little taste of home, and it's a handmade freshly made candy cane
1: absolutely yeah we're just hoping you know we appreciate what those guys do we uh... you know we really are honored that that they're what they're doing and out there serving our country so we just want to try to help out a little bit when we can and send those out and hope they get a chance to live that hometown re- relive their rethink of their hometown life and enjoy a little piece of candy like that
0: now in your store you guys do everything yourselves you guys roast your own nuts you guys now you, you don't make your own chocolate but you do make chocolates there uh, boxes of chocolates how many items do you make there?
1: Uh, We uh, carry in our store well over 600 items. We have all kinds of nostalgic candies, jelly beans, uh, uh, hard candies, all those kind of things. But out of that 600 that we carry, or over 600 that we carry, about 200 items that we actually make here including uh, the 25 flavors of the ribbon candy. We've got, um, during Christmas time, we make four flavors of the candy canes, but we also do other flavors throughout the rest of the year. We mentioned the uh, Valentine's Day, Fourth of July, different things like that. Um, we make, uh, we do a full line of chocolates. We have, uh, I think it's 12 different flavored cream centers that come in milk and dark chocolate. We've got uh, 11 different flavors of fudge that we make here. Uh, we make our own marshmallow, we make honeycomb. Uh, we also dip things in chocolate, like uh, potato chips, Oreo cookies, um, oh, wow. Things like that. But, uh, but yeah, we do, uh, we have a pretty big variety. We also have probably, uh, close to a thousand different molded items we can mold. You know, baseball suckers, uh, trophy, chocolate trophies, letters in chocolate. Um, I mean, in the back room, we've got literally thousands and thousands of different molds. You know, obviously we do holiday shapes, hearts and things for Valentine's, St. Patrick's Day, uh, um, you know, shamrock shapes. But we do, uh, you know, other things, music notes, uh, flags, uh, uh, you know, lions, bears, uh, things for baby showers, weddings, all those kind of things that we do, uh, you know, endless amounts of. So we've got lots and lots of things that we make here, uh, but certainly, uh, you know, we make our own peanut brittle, um, just, just uh, we, you know, and, we, and always trying to expand things like that when we can, so.
0: Now, what about peanut butter? Because to, to a layman, that seems like a very difficult substance to work with.
1: Uh, it can be, but people love peanut butter. No, we probably have more peanut butter items than anything in the, we sell in chocolate. Um, oh wow! We we do a like peanut butter cup. We do a peanut butter. What we call a peanut butter melty that uh, went over so well that we do a peanut butter melty. We add ri- uh, crisp rice to it. We do a peanut butter melty with almonds. We do peanut butter melty with half uh, peanut butter melty, half caramel. Uh, and we call it Carmelty. Uh, we put uh, <laughs> peanut butter melty in between two Ritz crackers, and we call that one putting on the Ritz. We chocolate-covered <laughs> nut butter cookies. Wow. Um, so, yeah, peanut butter is definitely a uh, – of course, we do peanut clusters and chocolate, milk and dark. Sure. And uh, so, yeah, the peanut butter items are definitely uh, probably one of our uh, biggest sellers.
0: Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that.
1: Um, oh, yeah, no, people people love peanut butter, so.
0: So, but candy canes are like your key thing. Um, and you, you've actually become – I think you were telling me that you – operated as an expert on ribbon candy machines on storage wars was it
1: yes yeah we uh, um, we have a couple antique machines that uh, it actually at this point we're no longer using there's are not able to get parts for it and so about ten years back my wife said let me we're having trouble with one of our little uh, um, antique candy machines ribbon candy making machines and my wife said give me that thing let me try to do it by hand and she started doing the ribboning by hand so we actually own a couple of these old-fashioned machines and somehow uh, the producers from Storage Wars found out that we know something about these. Well, they were going through their storages, and they found an old ribbon candy-making machine. I think initially they probably had no clue what it was, and then they talked to somebody and, and found out what it was, and then somehow they called us to be the expert and give them the price and show, how, show them how it worked and those kind of things. So they came out about, uh, about five or six years ago and filmed a little segment, and it's still kind of in reruns today. And people see that on a regular basis and come in and say, hey, I signed Storage Wars. That was uh, that was great. That, that was a real good one for us. And people still get a chance to see it today.
0: <laughs> no, Do you still get royalties on that or no?
1: Uh, I would say not. The royalties are just uh, sending the customers in for us. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's fair. But,
1: uh, but they were, we had a lot of fun with it, and they were, uh, they were a very good crew to work with. So we had definitely had a lot of fun.
0: Now, you told me one other little tidbit while I was there that kind of shocked me, uh, but I found it really interesting, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it. You said that Jeffrey Dahmer, Worked at a chocolate factory. Now, are you telling me this as a candy maker or as a serial killer?
1: Uh, no, that would be as a candy maker. I, that's okay, something I, uh, you know, I don't mention that to a lot of people necessarily because it's a little odd and strange. But
0: uh, no, it's great. But,
1: um, uh, yeah, I think we at the time we were talking about some different uh, uh, things that had happened in the area here locally, and and uh, I have no idea how we got on that subject when we were talking. But uh, yeah. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I want to mention Logan and Jeffrey Dahmer the same thing, because he never worked here. <laughs> but, uh, so let's keep those two, two things completely separate. Well, that's there. the other
0: side of the country.
1: But, uh, yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer, um, and uh, I, I don't remember the exact story how many people he killed, but I know there was a number of people they found, found some bodies in his house or something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, he worked for a company back east called Ambrosia Chocolate. And I don't even know if they're still around anymore. I'd have to look that up. Uh, but at the time, because they found all these bodies in his freezer and buried around his house, yeah. They just, you know, a natural thing for the police is like, okay, let's see if there's more bodies. So what do you do? You go everywhere he's been. And so, right. you know, probably friends, neighbors, relatives, houses. So they went to his work and uh, they shut, my my understanding, I, I uh, don't know the exact story behind it, but I believe they shut the factory down for a day or two while they went through all the chocolate machines and the back stock and, you know, the vents and things like that, uh, the big, big chocolate company, and and checked it all out just to make sure uh, he hadn't put any bodies there. And from my understanding, there was absolutely nothing there. It was only at his house. So thank goodness for that because that could have taken a real hit to the chocolate business.
0: Your place is more akin to the Isle of Lucy episode with the chocolate, uh, where she's eating all the chocolates on the conveyor belt, than to Jeffrey Dahmer's um, weird zombie creation in his apartment. I just want to Exactly. That
1: thank you. Fast. Thank you. We definitely appreciate that. Yeah. We were definitely more along the line of uh Willy Wonka or Lucy than <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes, Thank you yeah. for that.
0: You got it. No <laughs> yeah, problem. Let's get
1: beyond Jeffrey Dahmer. But yeah, that, but I think that is a, a great story is it being the candy business that that's something they did. So very, very strange and weird.
0: So I'm Jerry, I like you, you and I, we've got a good rapport here. Um, but I'm gonna bring up something controversial. I have Uh-oh. to, Jerry. Okay. I have okay. to do sure. it. Okay, absolutely. So I'm, I'm hoping you're up to the challenge. So now, in your store, you have little messages that talk about the history of the candy cane. Is that, is that correct?
1: Uh, well, we talk about that as we're making the candy cane. Yes, and we actually have a little story uh, that tells, talks about what, uh, what uh, if you go online and look what some people believe is the history of the candy cane.
0: Okay. Now I got to tell you, I, I got, to, I'm of two minds on this thing because my guess is this is a brilliant marketing standpoint and and the reason why you make candy canes, um, but it 's not at all the history of candy cane make of the candy cane jerry uh,
1: well that 's not completely true that we know of if uh, the history of the of hard candy starts in germany uh, you now you 've probably done more research than I have on it, I know you 've getting ready for this interview but uh, uh, but uh, from my understanding, I believe the first time on record that they made hard candy, which is just cooking sugar to a high enough temperature to make a hard candy, was sometime in the 1690s in Germany. And then at some point, point, uh, they uh, and I believe they also stretched the candy. And the, the story that we read, and once again, I'm not sure yeah We did say this. Well, th- well actually, I knew about the story before there was an Internet, so uh, I not want to say it was just on the Internet. But... Um, So the story that we read was that that was the first time on record that they know of that somebody in Germany cooked candy to a high enough temperature. They stretched the candy and made little uh, candy sticks, and then they gave it to the kids uh, while the Christmas cantata was being sang, so that way the kids would be quiet and pay attention because they're eating these candies. And then the next story goes on in the book that we have, tells that uh, that candy at some point made its way to the United States, in about the mid-1800s, and that's when they added the shape and the stripe of the candy cane, and then that's where we start to tell the story about how it talks about the the shape of it standing for the shepherd's staff. If you turn it upside down, the letter of the candy cane becomes a J for Jesus, and just talking about the history of of, uh, the birth of Christ through Christmas and the the true celebration of Christmas. I don't know uh, exactly if those are the facts. But uh, but I do believe in 1691 they did in Germany at some point, and obviously at some point it did make it to the United States. Yeah. And I believe, uh, but like I said, you've done probably more research than I have, so you might be able to open up a little bit more light to it than I could.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's an interesting story because when I when I was reading because it's you know the shepherd staff and then you've got the the white for sinless Jesus and then the blood for the you know the bloodshed and all that. It's 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 a great encapsulation. Of as a sim, as a Christian symbol around Christmas time, and so I read that and I was like, "Oh, this is really fascinating." I mean, just to quickly encapsulate the very simple, real, genuine history is that peppermint sticks that children have loved that have kind of been a part of the winter time, not necessarily Christmas, have been around for you know for for centuries, and the the first candy canes came here right around the turn of the twentieth century. And then they started putting hooks on them, kind of to hang them on trees and things like that. So there really is no religious symbolism. Uh, there, there's no symbolism at all. It's just a, a piece of peppermint candy that happens to be associated with Christmas time. What's interesting about the one that you wrote is the thing on the internet. The story that that's that story is not true. Like that's not why the, the candy cane was created. But in the one that you hand out, you say a candy maker in Ontario, and the one online everywhere else is a candy maker in Indiana. So my guess is that you've crafted it for you specifically, and that that may be the reason that you specifically make these candy canes, which doesn't necessarily say it's the history of it, but it can always be a reason as to why you make candy canes.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, oh, no doubt, no doubt about it, definitely, yeah, and, and actually the story that we, uh, that we read did say Indiana also, and I, didn't, I mentioned Germany, but I didn't mention Indiana, I should have, um, and I'm not sure which, I have a friend that actually has a candy store in Indiana, they've been around since the late 1800s. Um, I'm not sure if they made candy canes back then or not, but uh, but yeah, that is the story. But yeah, no, that definitely falls in line with what we do here. Uh, we did change the story a little bit. We added that a candy maker in Ontario makes the yeah. candy canes, and that definitely ties in uh, why we got started in business and, uh, and how we pulled the candy canes and how we continue to make them today this way, absolutely.
0: Well, and, and that's fair. So I just want to say for everyone out there that that's not necessarily the history of it. But that doesn't take away from the fact that you may be making them for those reasons, which is totally fine. I just want to keep history correct, Jerry. That's all I'm asking.
1: I, I, I we, as do we, but uh, but yeah, that's uh, that is definitely the main reason we're still making them here today. So and so it, we do, I, and I do appreciate you bringing that up, Dan. Of Thank
0: course, you. and and I'll tell you what: if you know, in closing here, if I haven't sold it enough, there I haven't mentioned this. But if you've never tasted a fresh, warm candy cane. You have not lived life um, because you guys genuinely, Jerry, now I didn't try a peppermint one. I tried a cinnamon one, and I'm not, I love cinnamon. I, I like cinnamon. I don't love cinnamon, I should say. Um, I got to tell you, that was the best piece of candy I think I've ever eaten in my life. Um, flavorful, delicious, perfectly made. Jerry, you're a craftsman and true artisan of of the candy cane. Um, well done, sir.
1: Well, thank you. We much appreciate that. Uh, you definitely need to come back sometime, Dan, and try the peppermint because that is definitely the uh, number one selling and our key flavor.
0: That's the big one.
1: Uh, but the, cin- the cinnamon is excellent. But yeah, still to this day, people buy way more peppermint than any of the other flavors that we make here. So that is by far our number one selling flavor.
0: Well, I, I say people can keep buying peppermint, but I, you are doing yourself a major disservice if you don't try the cinnamon. It's delicious. Um, Jerry, where can people find you, uh, your store uh, online? I assume you're on social media. You have to be in this day and age. Where can people find you? How can I get in touch with you?
1: Oh, absolutely. We're on uh, Facebook and Instagram under Logan's Candies. Uh, you can also go to our website, loganscandies.com. Uh, we have a few things listed there. There's some times and dates where people can come down and watch uh, the actual candy cane making being done this season. And we'd love to have them come out. There's lots of days and dates, and we post about, and uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. And as you mentioned, it it tastes pretty darn good also.
0: Uh, it's amazing. All right, Jerry, I'm going to have links to the video we did, to all the, the pictures that I took, um, it's incredible. Again, people try it for yourself, have a link, uh, order it by mail. Um, Jerry, thank you so much for being on the program today.
1: Dan, we we appreciate you giving us a call and uh, taking, doing this, taking the time out for us. Uh, we appreciate what you guys do too, but, uh, we're just trying to make people's uh, Christmas and uh, seasons a little bit, uh, taste a little bit better and be a little bit happier. So, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate it.
0: You got it. All right. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. End of transmission.